This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. If you've ever flipped on an NBA game in the last few years, you've probably noticed one small little detail embroidered on the left shoulder of your favorite NBA superstar, a logo. Sponsorship opportunities are plentiful in professional sports, and the relationship between a team and the community in which it plays is a critical aspect to take into account when it comes to the jersey patches and what brands get that prime real estate. The Orlando Magic partner with Disney, and the Milwaukee Bucks stay true to their roots and have a relationship with Harley-Davidson. For the Charlotte Hornets, which are owned and operated by basketball's biggest star, Michael Jordan, the partnership it has is with LendingTree, and it's rooted in the brand's history in the community. It's more of an investment in the greater good of the community, the long-term relationship with your consumers. You make the investment with the understanding that you're going to get unaided awareness and aided awareness. So the aided awareness is seeing the logo on your chest. You see benefit and aided awareness from that logo being on their chest when they're on television. You see it when you see those jerseys and they're spread across the country. The unaided awareness, that's a bit slower. And we've just determined that the value of those points over time, coupled with the things that we're gonna do offline is where the value lies. Cornell McGee is the Senior Vice President of Marketing for LendingTree an online loan marketplace based in Charlotte, North Carolina. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Cornell opens up about the company's longstanding relationship with the Charlotte Hornets and the value that brings to the brand and its customers. Plus, he explains how marketers need to be thinking about partnerships more generally and how every marketer can deliver high value content to their customers. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest Cornell. How are you? I'm well. I wouldn't consider myself a special guest, but thank you for having me. Oh, you know, they're all special guests here on Marketing Trends, but uh, but this one's particularly special indeed. Um, excited to chat about all things Lending Tree today uh, and get into your background. So how'd you get started in marketing? I was not good in accounting. <laughs> so uh, I'm the youngest of three and my sister was like wicked smart and she went into accounting. So I thought I would go into accounting. Yeah, I'm a math science mind, but I don't have uh, accounting focus. So the alternative was marketing in undergrad. And fortunately, uh, it, it, it went well. And coming out of school, I, I landed a, a marketing job and I, and I loved it. And it's been boomed from there. My, my sister was a, uh, or is an engineer. Uh, and um, same sort of thing. It's like, oh, I'll major in, uh, in engineering. And I'm like, nope, that's not going to work. <laughs> No, it's it's it was it was a tough fail, and uh, I was the subject of roasting a few holidays before I figured it out. So, flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about what it means to be VP of Marketing at LendingTree. <laughs> what does it mean to be the SVP of Marketing at LendingTree? It means you're never moving fast enough, you're never doing well enough. Go, 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 grow, 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 do it smarter, faster, better. 
and cross-functionally partnership, have a cross-functional partnership with, with all your constituents because everyone wants across those 19 products, they all want the same level of service, even if they don't drive the same level of, of value at the moment to the company. It, it's always an interesting day at the tree is what I'll say. There, there's never a dull moment. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a lot of uh, a lot of the marketing, you know, uh, mandate uh, here, especially uh, in 2021. So, you know, for our listeners who don't know the full suite of products that that Lending Tree has, can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. So, so we have a core. Uh, Lending Tree was built on the the mortgage industry, right? The uh, the CEO and founder uh, Doug Lebda was frustrated with the process. So he developed the the, the mortgage product um, to try to make it easier for consumers um, and to give them selection and choice. And that kind of spawned into all these other tangential products that just made sense. Well, if you have mortgages, you probably need other financial tools and support as well. So we decided it made sense for us to, to just be in the right place for consumers for all their financial needs. We, we lean into the business loans and personal loans and um, tangent to that, the insurance products, because typically when you buy a car or a house or something like that, you need insurance as well. Um, we went into credit cards because you not only need those for business, but you also need those uh, personally. We went into content um, because we recognize that there's not a lot of information about this. Even, even me, I, I've refinanced my house twice and the first home I purchased I strictly went on the recommendation of the people I, I was buying the house from and my real estate agent. I had no clue, right? So we thought information would be critical to kind of help people understand just their credit rating and their financial circumstances. And so we evolved into all these products. Some we developed in-house, some we, we purchased, but, but holistically, whether we, we might have a credit card company like Compare Cards that we purchased, but we also have CC.LT, which is credit cards lending tree, for example, or we have business loans internally, but we also have SnapCap. So across that spectrum, we have about 19 products or services from investments to deposits. We, we just try to be thoughtful about the things that consumers might need or find interesting and valuable to them across their, their lifetime of their financial journey, right? Because you, you think about it, you're going to buy a car, most people, you're going to buy a house, most people. You're going to need insurance for something, most people. And what else might they need from a financial perspective? We wanted to be front and center on those things because we thought we could make a difference and we could educate people so that they could make better decisions for themselves. And so as SVP of marketing, um, you mentioned a little bit how you're getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. You have all these products that you need to help. How do you think about marketing a portfolio of products rather than just like, let's say one product or two? Ah, it's a combination of, of your macro environment and what the consumers need the most. And then the third layer is the economics that you internally, you have, and then your corporate goals. So what is the, what can the market bear? Where are your opportunities? Where are your best economics? and um, who can we help the most, right? And then you you spread that out and you slide your resources appropriately. That being said, we have product marketers covering a certain set of products where they basically act 
as the marketing engine that talks to all the, the channel marketers, whether it's online or offline, about those particular sets of products. And then as we roll that up, we're like, okay, here are our opportunities to be the most successful. What makes the most sense? Where can we drive the most value to our lending partners, to our, cons- our consumer constituents, and then go. So, you know, your role has, has changed a little bit over the past year. Can you, can you share more about, uh, about uh, what, what these new responsibilities look like? Uh, sure. Sure. I had, to, I had to take a sip of water just to think about how much it's changed. If you could imagine in my, in my previous role, of, I, I was responsible for about 70% of marketing. That was the equivalent of having my hair on fire. But to take it all on, it's, it's like um, you just set me on fire and then said, we need to consolidate, refine, and get better at these things. The fundamental thing I'll say that I did, at least semi-well, was I recognized the need for cross-functional training. That means across all those products with all those subject matter experts, I wanted them to share best practices and things that they've seen successful so that we could learn smarter and faster and raise the floor. And then vertically um, for a particular product, that would be sales, the GMs, the analytics team, the, the call center team and CRM. I wanted them to talk to one another about what their goals were so that they, they could get rightly aligned. Um, and then once we had a baseline understanding of those things, we, we kind of shuffled the deck a bit. We found some people to be better at the marketing tech piece so that we could have the right people in the room when we're talking about technical things we need to make us smarter, faster, better around data um, and infrastructure. And then putting those product marketers and kind of shifting them into the, the proper places where they could accelerate and grow, where products or services or lines of business made the most sense to combine them together. And then you could maximize the value of those resources and still be able to meet the demand. So that's probably been the most critical thing in all of this. It's interesting, though, because while you're doing all that, you have three core metrics that you operate under. You have the revenue metric, you have the margin metric, and you also have the quality metric. So it's this kind of Bermuda triangle of of change as well as standards that you're trying to, to, to meet across all these products and services with this really talented team. And you're just trying to put them in the best position to be successful. Yeah, it's a really interesting point about how to leverage your different marketing teams uh, and the talent that you have to cross-pollinate some of that talent to you know, try to make sure that people understand how the different products and services uh, you know, affect one another and, and those sort of things. I, I feel like that's something that a lot of times in marketing, you get you know so siloed, but then you, as the one leading it, are looking at well, I'm I'm running brand campaigns, I'm running like all sorts of campaigns that that impact everything. So if everyone's not kind of rowing in the same direction, it can be problematic. Oh, absolutely. The first thing I did was like to break down the silos because of how we were broken up, it put us basically in silos of consumer versus home, and I'm like, this shouldn't be versus in anything. We're all the same team. We're, I'd always yell out when when we could actually go in the office, one team, one dream, right? And then I wanted them to support one another with the best of the best information available that's not necessarily documented or you can read on a dashboard. So that, that's been critical for our success. And it has allowed us to take advantage of the opportunities available to us 
in the places they're available and the lines of businesses that are available, and then to mitigate our losses in the places where it wasn't as opportunistic based on the macro environment. Well, and it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, like the idea of cross-selling or upselling is so fundamental to marketing. You know, I was uh, in a previous interview, we were talking to Eric Sue, who was talking about how like, you know, acquisition marketers are or digital marketers are so focused on acquisition, they're really, really good at that, but they're not not as good at as retention. Whereas like, you know, B2B marketers or, or enterprise marketers are like really focused on retention because they know that, you know, they need to, uh, you know, bring in the person who's, who's going to buy and who's going to stay because that's super important. And I think that, you know, it's an interesting thing to look at when you're marketing, you know, a group of, of products where it's like, you know, the same person can get a home loan, can get a personal loan, can, you know, can, can have a credit card, you know, their kid might need a student loan soon, you know, things like that. Um, and you kind of have to have this, this 360 degree view of the customer. And if your marketers are, are off doing their own things and not part of that kind of journey, it doesn't really make sense. So h- how do you look at kind of the customer from a more holistic standpoint, knowing that they'll need, you know, multiple products within that journey? Great, great question. Um, we look at lifetime value of any particular consumer just as a fundamental baseline because it forces you to think of them not for the, the first product that they, they came in to have access to, but the journey. And then you can start to put them into cohorts and think about them as, hey, you're solving financial challenges for them. And across the swath of products, like, hey, how are we talking to these consumers, number one? And then when you start asking that question, you think about where do they come from? What do they look like? What are their, their main attributes? What makes the most sense for them as the next best thing um, within uh, the communication sphere of what you should offer them? And then you think about when they called into the call center, what was that experience? What questions that they ask? And you start to feed this data together and then you pour that back out across the organization. And you can easily say to someone, that's purchasing for any one of the products from the acquisition perspective, hey, yes, that person has great value to you, but the greatest value are these consumers. So that's your first tier consumer. And then when your your marginal cost says that it's too expensive to buy that next one, then you drop down to the next tier of consumers. And it always allows you to focus on what's best for the business holistically, as opposed to any particular product or service because that is fundamentally built into the lifetime value calculation. What are your what are some of your favorite campaigns that you've done over the past few years uh, at Lending Tree? You know what? Believe it or not, I take special pleasure in kind of some of my, our longer term relationships because you get to invest in the incubation and growth of those. Perfect example, the, the Hornets deal. So re-up in the Hornets deal, one, it invests in your community. It says, you know, that Lending Tree is a part of this community and the community matters to us. Two, it's, it's associated with Jordan. I was a Jordan fan, still by Jordans now. I'm not afraid to say it. But <laughs> on a more serious note, there's, there's equity in the Jordan brand that you've associated with. The, the Hornets product could be better, yes. But for every game that they play on television or when they make it to the playoffs or one of their players makes it to the all-star game, it, it creates this brand equity for us that allows us to do things in a not so direct response way. It's more of an investment in 
the greater good of the community, the, the long-term relationship with your consumers, and then here are your financial products and services. But we're, your, we're truly your partner because it's not strictly and totally just about that $1 and that one transaction for the moment. And that has led us to this broader concession that, hey, we need to go from a transactional relationship with our consumers to a lifetime of financial service relationship with our consumers. Meaning, what is it that you need to know about these products, the first product, the second product, and the third product? And what does your journey look like? And here's some, some of the pitfalls that people have had. And it all started with just investing in a long-term relationship to say that we're going to invest in our community and tie ourselves to, you know, one of the iconic brands of today to try to build better relationships with our, our constituents, which are our consumers across the nation. That's a fascinating look at it. Um, I think uh, I'm a Warriors fan, but I am a, I'm a huge Hornets fan because of the outreach that you all do in the community. I know a lot of people live in Charlotte. Um, I've been to events in Charlotte put on by the Hornets in partnership with uh, some military veteran entrepreneurship organizations and other things. So I totally know what you mean about the community piece of the Charlotte Hornets, which I think is really cool. But I, it's interesting that you mentioned Michael Jordan being an owner of of the Charlotte Hornets and what that means to the overall to the overall sponsorship as well, because that stuff super matters. You don't hear a lot of marketers talk about things like that. So the other piece of this that I think is so fascinating is like in basketball specifically, you have this like bet that you make on teams and players. And so one of the best episodes we we did a marketing trends long time ago, um, Alexandra Morehouse was a, was a marketing leader at Kaiser Permanente back when they were thinking about sponsoring the Warriors. Uh, and they're like, well, you know, we got this young kid out of Davidson. He's a really good kid. You know, he could be, he could be a good player. We're going to sponsor Steph Curry and, and the Warriors. And it ended up being like this ridiculously, you know, like one of the best sponsorships ever. And, you know, you have this opportunity with the, with the Hornets right now where you have Ball as a rookie yep. playing super well. Uh, one of the most marketable, you know, young stars because of, you know, their, their name and, and all that stuff. And I'm just like, it seems like, you know, a great time to buy low on a franchise that is doing a lot of good in the community, but also could be something, you know, great in the, in the not too distant future. Exactly. I, I think that's exactly right. Um, it's fortuitous that, that they landed ball, but you knew something was coming because, because Jordan for, for all of his downfalls as a manager that, that have been wildly documented, he's always trying to, to, continue to innovate and you will see peaks and valleys of the fruits of his labor, but he's always on it. Right. And so this allows us to do something a little bit more interesting and outside of the box of what you would think of when you think of financial tools or financial services or fintech in general. I don't ever really think of fintech as sexy, but, but this adds a bit more appeal to it because of the layers of investment that you're putting in. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I, that's why I'm so glad you brought it up because I think that when you're trying to stand out as a company that you can either kind of like make your own, make your own cool, right? Or you can, you know, borrow somebody else's. And I think that this is like a, a perfect example of, you know, taking a brand like Lending Tree, which is, you know, been around for a while, which has an extremely powerful brand and partnering with someone that is, 
you know, doing things that you like, but also adds to a lot of that stuff. I mean, from an ROI perspective, I don't know how you calculate these sort of things. You know, how do you calculate, you know, brand play versus some of the more direct campaigns? But I mean, I personally love sponsorships. I talk about it all the time on the show. I just think that they're they're a way to do something that you could never do in house. Um, and so I, I'm just curious, like, how do you think about like making those type of investments and, and driving ROI? Well, different from our DR campaigns, you you make the investment with the understanding that you're going to get unaided awareness and aided awareness. So the aided awareness is seeing the logo on your chest. I think I hit myself in the chest way too hard. Um, but you, you see, you see benefit and aided awareness from that logo being on their chest when they're on television, you, you see it when you see those jerseys and they're spread across the country on the aided side, but the unaided awareness, that's a bit slower. And, and we've just determined that the, the value of those points over time, coupled with the things that we're going to do offline is where the the value lies. It's not going to be enough in and of itself. It's just one of the the markers as you start to make your footprint from a brand perspective and as an overall brand strategy, it's just one component, right? So of the things that you're going to do, they all equal a whole because it's just one piece of the pie. And that's how we think about it. I'd say the sponsorship in and of itself, it gives us a loan if we just did it itself, probably 33 to 45% of its value in any meaningful time, amount of time, but you couple it with being the sponsor for Clemson this year, or you couple it with having the Lending Tree Bowl, and you couple it with the, the television, and all those things equal 100% together. And then if you add the benefit that you get on your direct response, meaning your channel spin, your digital spin, it's, the great, it's greater than 100% over time. And we're trying to make an investment not just for now, but for the future, because we know the momentum on the brand is going to continue to build and in the right ways, you know, not that we just have these annoying phone calls, but we're actually helping people live out their dreams. And on your financial journey, the one of the worst things you can do is make a bad decision and get yourself into a bad loan and then default on that loan. We've seen that happen in the market. So we feel like this is just a step in that down the path to that journey of ultimate success and having the right kind of relationship with the consumer um, from an unaided awareness where they think of, of lending tree and it's all positive. Well, mostly positive. Yeah. You know, and to finish out the piece on, on the Jordan stuff, like for, for a while there, the Jordan brand was only on Hornets jerseys, yep. right? Uh, and I think they the the NBA like expanded to do some some other some certain things this year. But you're talking about a brand that like I don't know I don't have the stats in front of me about how uh, how powerful the brand is. Obviously, it's you know one of the most recognizable you know brands in the world. But also so many brand loyalists uh, you know to that. And um, and I just you know like I said things like this where you can make an investment and you can reap rewards that go beyond like, you know, having LaMelo ball jerseys, you know, being sold and people wearing them around, getting the benefit of that is cool. Having them be in video games for millions and millions of hours of video games is cool. Like there's just so many different things that a sponsorship like that, especially with a jersey patch, um, which is something that's still pretty new to the NBA. You know, it's not something that is that is that old. So um, yeah, I just think it's a cool thing and it's a cool way to look at uh, you know, for a product like yours. 
it, it's a it's just a it's a it's a good experiment to run to run and it, and it sets us up with the millennials that are they're not quite to making those financial decisions because it'll be subconscious to them because they will have seen it so much so often through the various uh, consumptions of, of content, specifically online gaming and on jerseys, that over time we will, we will have invested and built a relationship in places that would have um, normally not made financial sense to us. So it's not only the benefit that we see today, but we, we anticipate or our projections show that the long-term value of that next tier of customers that haven't even identified themselves we, we will get value um, with that consumer base as they they grow into uh, financial maturity. Any other uh, any other campaigns uh, that you particularly were, were proud of, or or some learning experiences uh, along the way? Maybe campaigns that didn't go so well. Oh yeah, we can we can definitely go to the campaigns that didn't go so well. We've done several brand campaigns where even though we recognize from all of our user studies that people primarily think of us as a mortgage lender even and we're not but we were like you know what selection and choice selection and choice selection and choice that's what we offer so we ran selection and choice and we called them omnibus so you have multiple products that they could choose from and everything logically said that oh they'll see lending tree and they'll know that we're mortgage but they didn't know all this other stuff so they'll just they'll get to pick and choose and it'll be great we uh we ran a few small tests tested out well it was the biggest bomb, just so, so bad <laughs> after the fact. And, you know, you just have to, you have to own that and then understand that, you know, while we think of it as selection and choice, the first kind of introduction to the easiest of the birthing of the relationship is typically on the mortgage products. And then after you have that relationship, they kind of work their way through for the lion's share of the consumers that we would have been reaching from a television perspective or an offline in general perspective. We didn't, <laughs> we, we got that way wrong. I got that way wrong. I, I shouldn't say we, it's we when we're successful as I, when I, when we, we get it wrong. So I got that way wrong. We have to meet the consumers where they are with the messaging that they expect. If you want to, to have success is what I'd say. Painful. Can't believe I'm telling you that and I'm putting it out there for the world to hear, but still true. And maybe it'll save someone else from making that mistake. Listen to your consumers and understand what their needs are and then act appropriately, not based on, you know, your own intelligence and belief of what a consumer needs. Yeah. It's, it's an important point to test those hypotheses. I think that that's, you know, that's one of those things, especially when you have a suite of products like you do, where so few people are cruising around looking for a solution to 19 of their problems, right? <laughs> right. Um, it's just even though that they have those or they will have those, you know, it's spread out by by years and months. And that's why, you know, we, we talked already about the customer journey, but that's why that piece is so important, right? It's important to develop the relationship with with them early on. And whether that's with content or other things, it's super critical. How do you, how do you think about content um, as it relates to, you know, financial education? I tell you what, we, as a company, we didn't take a lot of stock in it at first, but we did like this kind of rogue black hat um, lead ads, which was a debt guide. I'm talking 32 page honking PDF that we sent out. And it was one of our most successful email campaigns. So we decided, hey, maybe we'll break it up into pieces and parts and feed it to the consumer over time 
so that it wasn't so overwhelming, they hated it. So what that taught us was is consumers, they're starving for this information. They want to know about these things like, you know, what are good financial decisions? When should they make those decisions? How do they fix the poor uh credit situation that they're in today, you know, what products and services are good for them right now based on what their needs are. Since then, we've started to develop content because again, you want to, we want to move our relationships with the, from, with the consumer from transactional, hey, you come in and get what you need, even though it's financial services. And you might not need all these things at once. You might need something uh, for a home loan or a refi today, and you might not want a personal loan or credit card for six months, a year, year and a half. So how do you continue to have a relationship with those consumers? You start to give them rich content. We're saying we can make this easy for easier for you. So the content piece naturally kind of birthed itself out of that. And then we have a content machine in, on our SEO side, as well as our internal content writers. So we just started to feed more of that information to the consumers and put it in a place or places meaning the the app, our mobile app, so that they have direct access to it and they don't have to wait for an email. So from my perspective, content is king for changing the relationship with the consumer from a transactional experience to an actual relationship experience. And we are the place that they can come to get smart information as they try to make the, the next most important or critical financial decision. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, an important point there is kind of like you have these two kind of schools of thought, which is that person is going to enter that situation where they're going to binge everything about that topic. They're going to watch YouTube videos. They're going to you know do whatever. They're they're going to try. Hey, I'm buying a home, or hey, I need to refinance, or hey, I need to you know get a personal loan, or you know I'm getting married, or whatever it is. So they're going to get they're going to try to learn as much information as humanly possible in a short amount of time to like figure it out and make a decision. And then you have the other side of it, which is like, I don't want to do any of that work. I just want it done for me the right way. Right. And that's where you get into like the trust part of this, which is for the people who want to learn all the stuff, they can do that. For the people who just want to hit the easy button and just trust that this company has their back and is going to do it the right way and get them the best deal or get them the best results, you know, they kind of have that that approach. Have you kind of found that to be to be the case as well? No, that's, or, that's or? Actually, I was thinking I was actually nodding my head. That was very well said. For for us, the, the genesis of this was to make this easier, right? Just to get them through the process because that was the consumers we were finding. But we were finding when they came back for their next or third or fourth product, we were purchasing them again. If we just made the content available to them, and let them know where it was. They could consume as much or as little as they wanted. So there's a subset of our uh, consumer base that are ease of use. And there's a subset of our consumers that want to bend. Well, there's a mid-tier that they want, you know, a certain amount of content for their specific need at that moment. And there's a, a kind of binge on the content group as well. And we just try to meet those consumers where they are in all of those instances so that they have a quality experience so that when they think about their next financial decision, we're still top of mind, right? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter um, what we offer if we're not meeting their needs. And it doesn't matter if we offer what we offer if we're not meeting all of their needs. So we just try to make it available and then properly identify where they are in their journey and how they want to consume their content and then make it readily available to them in that way. So we're, we're 
extending to meet them where they are so that they don't have to to meet us where we are because it eases the process and it smooths it out for the consumer and consumer is king especially now especially now yeah have you have you seen any changes to behavior uh you know over the past year oh absolutely so two two core tenants that stick out in my mind the subprime and the underbank consumer desperate for funds no funds available. It's a hard message to share when you're trying to push them to the content so that they understand their financial situation and why they can't get funding. But a large subset that started out at the beginning of the pandemic, the first probably three to six months, it's settled now. The pivot was, as that changed, we saw more mid-prime, prime, and super-prime people introduce themselves to us in much more meaningful ways. If they were let's say 20 to 30%, they're like 50 to 60%. We're seeing them engage longer. They're typically a super prime customer. They can get whatever they want. So they just go to their local bank or wherever they made their last transaction because they just assumed that they were going to get their best rate. But as the markets tightened and the macro environment says, we're going to scrutinize you more, they're like, okay, if you're going to scrutinize me more, I'm going to scrutinize you more. And I'm going to look at all my options and I'm going to find what's best for me. And what better place to do that than Lending Tree? Because we are about selection and choice. We go out and try to find those opportunities for you and present them so that they're nice and packaged up in this one easy to find place. And then you can choose. And if that's not enough, you can go out and compare it to others. And we know, um, based on our studies, that some of our consumers on the super prime and the the prime side has actually taken our information back to their banks to say, hey, these are the rates I'm seeing. Why is your rate higher than this? Can you match or beat this rate? And of course, the answer has been yes, if they're in the super prime category, especially. But that switch uh, and that subtle change in, in the type of consumers coming through the funnel has definitely allowed us to be able to accelerate and grow in meaningful ways during the pandemic in places where capacity and financial opportunities were available. Yeah, it's funny. So I um, I was looking at mortgages this summer after, you know, and being like an entrepreneur and all that sort of stuff, like you did basically, it's like the same sort of scenario where, uh, you know, if you don't have, you know, XYZ and all this sort of stuff, um, you know, it's pretty much impossible to yep. get a loan. And, uh, and it's so funny. That's exactly what I, I kind of went through, which was like this, okay, well, you know, everybody's going to be super selective. And then you kind of get this mode where you're like, you know what? Screw that. If everybody's going to be selective about this, then I'm going to be super selective. And, you know, when, uh, when everything, you know, goes back to, to normal, it's like, you're just taking receipts and you're like, I'm going to remember all the people who, you know, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't bank, you know, wouldn't bank, uh, you for, for reason X, Y, or Z. And it's just, it's a funny thing to go through. I think, you know, any life change and have things drastically alter. And it's so important. Like it's such an important, like customer experience lesson and marketing lesson that it's like, if there's just because you can't sell them a product today, doesn't mean that you don't need to like treat them the right way now. So that when that is an option down the road. Um, and it's so funny because I just saw that personally, how like there were certain lenders that were like super helpful, trying their hardest to figure it out. And like, you know, hey, I'll, you know, give you a call in three months or yeah, whatever it is. And there's other people that it's just like, you know, no digital experience, no in-person experience, like no, you know, nothing like that. And they just kind of like clear that that they don't care. Oh, you know? absolutely. And we've we've seen that 
And we've, we've been able to, to definitely take advantage of, of that shortcoming or the short-sightedness out in the, in the market. So with regards to like data and measurement um, of your campaigns, um, what does your data strategy look like? How do you view the data flowing into the organization from a marketing perspective? And we, we suck in so much data on our consumers. Um, we have this thing called lead score that determines the quality of a consumer and the likelihood to take one of the services um, and fund. We do that in a, and we try to do it in a proactive way. Some of it we're really good at um, proactively, and then some of it we're, is reactive, right? So we believe we have insights, but the market changes faster than our data can update in some instances. Um, so it puts us behind the eight ball. That's how we kind of even got into, you know, thinking about, you know, how do we get more proactive about thinking about consumers? How do we get ahead of the changes that they're going to make to cookies or on the iOS 14 and things like that? And how do you automate and maximize the value of, of AI? So we have this complex set of, we have internal analytics as a group and a team that looks at some aspects of the data. We have the lead score that's supposed to rate them as they come through. We have the data feeds that we give to our partners that says, hey, these are the kind of type of consumers. Since you can't exclude certain groups for any particular reason, we're like, these are the type of consumers that we've seen success with and we feed it to their AI and we adjust our bids. And that whole combination rolls up into these data and reports that a combination of marketing and analytics um, and our third party partners all look at to try to maximize our value. It is a, a complicated mishmash that we've kind of gotten better and better at over time. And because of the pandemic, we've been afforded the opportunity as a lot of marketers pulled out to really hone in on what our consumers look like from a cohort to cohort basis, and then to, to focus on finding more of them and creating value for them out in the market, as well as for our lending partners. You know, obviously, uh, you know, 2020 brought all sorts of, of different changes. Um, it brought all sorts of new opportunities uh, for for last year and now this year for partnerships. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, you have a partnership with the Charlotte Hornets, but any other partnerships or things that that uh, that you're excited about going forward? Yeah, we're we're actually talking to some credit bureaus. We have Plaid. We uh, we have a relationship um, where we get free credit scores um, for our consumers. We have some tax relationships where we help them with their taxes, gives us greater insight. Um, we have media partnerships where we just we we buy media like on like a, a U.S. news or an MSN or a CNN where it makes sense. So we have all these various types of partnerships, right, where we see value that we can offer to the consumer that lets us get closer to understanding what their needs are um, as they experience us, as well as as those relationships. I think they're all critical for very different reasons, right? You're trying to be in places because the sandbox of the digital sphere is only so big. So you try to be in places that make the most sense and where you can box out your competitors, if I was being honest. And then you also try to be um, at the right time, because even if you can get the right consumer with the right credit score, with the right attributes, there's always this timing component. So having relationships where you know that after tax seasons, they're going to take X, Y, and Z action and being there for that critical point of 
let's say offering them insurance because car sales spike after tax season as as one example or knowing that when um the turn of the year comes in and uh, the housing market starts to pop on the purchase side not the refi side because of the rates being so low being there when they when they look at their credit score to know which of our consumers are most likely to either refi or want to purchase a home and knowing if their credit worthiness and how they tie to the different cohorts that we already have in place, it makes us smarter and better so that we can help our consumers more, if that all makes sense. So these partnerships all have value in their various ways because they give us insights into what the consumers might need, what actions they might take next. And every time they take, they go and take um, some sort of funding or uh, apply for some funding and make that decision, and take one of our products, we just learn better, not just about that particular consumer, but the consumers like them that are starting to take the same kind of action because there are certain attributes along with those actions that tie us to, to being able to provide them um, a meaningful product at the right time, which is critical. What are some either you know technologies or tactics or, or something uh, that you're excited about for next year to either try out or experiment with or, or play with? Interestingly enough, we um, we're actually talking to to Salesforce about some of their their services and tools uh, to try to fill in some gaps about right place, right time and and proactive about, you know, if we make a mistake and we all make mistakes. But when we make a mistake, finding it faster, having something tell us recommendations on this side, based on our first party data, as opposed to their third party data or what their, their system recommend. We're, we're trying to get more automated in that decision-making. So as we want to accelerate and grow, you don't have to add 500 people. You want those tools to be able to tell you that. And since we've seen uh, benefits with AI, when we feed data back into certain systems, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, and they go through and make adjustments, we know that if we find the right set of, of tools or services on our side to take our data and start to make those same recommendations as they see something, a trend start to, to materialize ahead of you know, the human conscious or the eyeball, we'll be ahead of the curve. Because we're, what we're finding is that every dollar counts now a lot more. And every success that we have that we still uh, market share or wallet share, or we're in a better position in the auction because we can lean in because our quality score is better. It gives us a competitive advantage and it makes it a lot harder for competitors to catch us because they have to overcome our already competitive advantage of being in that position, as well as the price benefits that we've seen on the cost side, because our quality score is so very high, right? So if we can do that ahead of time or faster, or in a more automated fashion, we only get better in the process. Hey, now, always, always a good uh, shout out to our amazing sponsor, Salesforce. So I uh, love that. Love to see that. Um, well, we're about to get uh, into our, our lighting round. Uh, but before we do that, uh, any, uh, any final thoughts on, uh, on, on stuff for, uh, for this year that, that, you're, uh, that you're excited about, ready for? I tell you what, I'm I'm ex I'm excited for the second half of the year. I think the first half of the year we're gonna figure out what we're doing about the pandemic. How do you get the the vaccine out enough for things to start to to defrost um, at the macro level, and for businesses to start to spin up, and what the new future is gonna look like? And I think we're gonna get um, 
a line of sight into that in the second half of this year. And so that being the case, half of our businesses should return. And you take our current insight plus that, I think that we will be ready made to be successful. And I think the consumers will be itching to get back into those products and services so that they can get back on with their lives. They want to travel again. They, you know, they, you know, not just family vacations, but they want to be able to go out to restaurants and where they use to do that. They, they had, they use their credit card and then businesses want to be able to spend and accelerate and grow as these consumers come back. And we are perfectly positioned to help them with all of those things. So I'm really excited about the, the change that we should see in the second half. And even if it doesn't come back completely to the pre-pandemic state, we're, we're ahead of the curve because we were able to lean in when a lot of companies pulled out just because of the breadth of services that we offer. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. Lightning round questions. Cornell, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what is your favorite potato chip? Ah, Cheetos. Have you picked up a hobby in 2020 that you're going to continue in 2021? Jogging. If you could have one guest on a podcast, who would it be? Michelle Obama. If you weren't in marketing at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Coach. I'd be a, some coach, basketball or football. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show or something that you've been binging recently? Big Bang. Watch it almost every single day. What is your best advice for a first-time head of marketing? Serving leadership. Serve your team, block and tackle, and let the subject matter experts do their thing. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Um, what has been the thing that was most critical for success? What has? Finding good mentors. Yeah. And the Cheetos. <laughs> the Cheetos, that's a, that's a guilty pleasure uh, that, I, that I struggle with. And since we're, you know, this is relaxed uh, communication, I'll just tell you, it is literally the cheese dust on my thumb and index finger that makes it all worth it when you finish the bag. It's <laughs> uh, so true. Couldn't agree more. Um, Cornell, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Any, uh, any, anything else? Obviously, our listeners should check out LendingTree. Go to LendingTree.com. Um, anything else? No, I just thank you for the time. And this was, this was really cool. I suggest that anyone who has the opportunity to do it, please take, take them up on it. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. Thanks. And, uh, and take care. You too. Cheers. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.